You know, I, I do want to point out one thing about the story of Purim. It's all about lotteries. It's about chance. And so the question is, is every chance action Phoebe. something that God did? That's the standard pious association. That is, if it happened by chance, it was done on purpose by God. And you'll find that all the way through the Bible, when they want to pick things, and they don't know, like when they allocate the land, they do it by lottery. When they're trying to uh, figure out who was the person who stole something from Jericho and caused the people to lose a battle, they did it by a lottery of taking all these things out. And, um, and so the question of a lottery is some way to allow God to, to uh, pick things. The question is, did God pick a day uh, to kill all the Jews? Well, if you believe that that's what's going on in the lottery, that's how the day was chosen. It was chosen by lottery. They had a pile of months, and they had a pile of days, and they threw the dice down, and they came up with the 12th uh, month and the 13th day thereof. I kept thinking that it was the 13th month, but couldn't because this month can be a, a leap month. To get our calendar back in sync with the solar calendar, seven out of every um, 19 years is a leap year, and it has a second month of Adar. And so there's a 13th month every so often, and uh, I thought it might have been the 13th day of the 13th month, just for fun. It's not, but well, when I tell the story, it is, because I, <laughs> I reserve myself to, write, to rewrite the Bible every so often to suit my own needs. <laughs> at least you admit it. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Has anybody read the book of Deuteronomy, at least parts? So the answer is Deuteronomy to this question. Where is Purim in the Torah? And the answer, and there you go, Deuteronomy, somebody knew. And the answer is it's nowhere in the Torah because it happened much later. But there's a phrase in the end in 30, chapter 33 where God says, I'm going to get so angry with you guys, you Israelites. Haster, haster et panai, I'm going to hide my face from you. Hmm. And since this is about God hiding God's face and name in the book, but the word used is a specific word, which is haster, astir. Astir sounds like Esther. So Esther is in the book of Deuteronomy, and that's where Purim would be if it's in the book. But even though her name is Hadassah. Even though her <laughs> real name is Myrtle. <laughs> yeah. Myrtle. Yes. Oh, oh. Yeah, well, the first thing is, that you, are you married? Yes, he is. Good. Um, do you always let your wife come in, or do you have to have special rules as to when you uh, uh, <laughs> you point the scepter? That's good. That's the way it should be. <laughs> but in Persia, for kings, it was different. And I, and now, I don't know how much of this is really Persian stuff. I'm not an expert on on ancient Persian court ritual, uh, and I haven't seen anything about it. But that that's. A lot of people say that a lot of the stuff they were talking about was okay, including the fact that they could, the king could not even go against the king's own law. Even if the king had made that decree, he couldn't go against it. But I, there's a lot of stuff in this story which is sexual. 
you think. Uh, it's, and so uh, when the, there's the pointing of the scepter at the, <laughs> at, at the queen, and I'll just let your mind run with that, you know. And, and, um, so yes. um, last week we talked on the book, we talked about the book of Daniel and how Babylon and Persia and the book of Daniel is often sort of inept, crazy leadership, right? You did Daniel in one week? We just, yeah, we just threw it down one, one afternoon. It's at least two weeks. It's at least two. <laughs> I know. Um, but, but sort of one of the questions I think the book of Daniel deals with is that idea of what do you do when you're stuck in a land where you're not with your own people, where you're not with your own tribe, you're not with people necessarily even of your own faith, and you are um, having to serve in a context that is crazy, right? With bad leaders, capricious leaders, crazy laws, crazy ways of rule. And I think Esther is the additional answer to that, right? So we've got Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, right, who are these four faithful Jewish young men who find themselves in Babylon and yet they keep laws of kosher, yet they continue to follow their God, yet they continue um, to somehow be saved even, you know, while they're being faithful, even in in spite of the leadership. And I think the Esther is, Esther is a nice, another picture of how a, a female in those contexts can also even stuck, even in the midst of something horrible. I mean, Esther's not really a story I would wish for anyone, right? And yet we're all deeply grateful that she's there and able to do the right thing and save her people. How do you remain faithful to your God in the midst of craziness? Ain't easy. It ain't easy. (laughs) No, I mean, she... uh, Esther would not have been able to be a Jew in any way, shape, or form, and I have no idea what it meant to her to be a Jew anyway because they never talk about anybody doing anything particularly Jewish in the book. Right. So there's... It's not like Daniel where he wouldn't eat the king's meat because it was improperly slaughtered from the wrong animals to begin with. But, um, but we don't know what she would have done. I know one thing that Esther never did in her entire life, which is light Shabbat candles. Because mm-hmm. that wasn't something that, after, that happened until later. well over a thousand years later. It just wasn't a thing. So do you think the book of Esther can, can be in some ways a response to even if you can't keep kosher even if you don't aren't raised in a jewish home or even if your jewish parents are like if you're that far removed there's still a way to remain faithful even if you're not speaking your language you don't have torah there's still there's still something you can do for your people and for your god even in that way let me just say that it, the, the book of esther is one of the most difficult books for the traditionalists and my people to accept because there you have a woman marrying not a, a person who's not Jewish. And, uh, and Ezra lived at the same time. And Ezra wanted, mm-hmm. ended up making all the people who had married non-Jewish people who were part of the majority of the land of Israel uh, and making it impossible for the kids to learn Hebrew. Uh, he wanted them to be divorced and so uh, Esther, in, in, in Jewish thought, is the story of a woman who's not marrying a Jew and nonetheless is the only recourse that God had to use to save the people, which meant that God wanted it to be that way from the get-go. 
And so it's, everything is hidden and wrong and strange and last minute and not the way it ought to be from the get-go in the book of Esther. And that's why we call it Purim Torah. Right. Because it's all upside down and weird. And it's taking place in a land where people are ridiculous. Right. I mean, like, no, no actual government or society could function this way. Maybe that's why there's no Babylonians in Persia. <laughs> it's in the same context. I'm just joking. But, like, you know, that it's a little bit, I hear a polemic from after return from exile, right, of here's where we, these people were nuts, right? They were drinking. They couldn't make laws. They couldn't go against, like, all of they're just stuck in their own system of crazy. The, uh, the strange thing about it, if you're a Jew is to look and see who the leaders of Persia are today. Khomeini, Khomeini, they all, they're all named Haman. And it's just really weird. Um, and when we first started knowing, when you're in the beginning when you had the Shah, that was different. There were good relations between Israel and Jews and, and Persians and, and, um, and the Shah... But now all the revolution of driving Jews out and putting them in jail and stuff is being driven by people whose names are Haman. And so, for a long time, I mean, for thousands of years, there's actually been strong Jewish presence in Iran, in Iraq, yes. in other places, but, and also Christian presence for the last 2,000 years in both Iran and Iraq, but not in our most recent history. There's been a mass exodus and also a mass genocide of the, of the Christians that remained. And the, the Islamic Republic of Iran yeah. is one of the few that goes around making noise about killing all the Jews in the Middle East. So the story is, is painfully relevant. And that's one of the reasons why it's uh, so difficult. It's, like I say, it's like, like selling a, a refreshments at a hanging. It's a really, really weird experience to, to party with this book. Yeah. And what it means for the, for the present tense as well as the past and future. Seems that we're never going to get out of this rut. Yeah, I, I was just reading a story about even how um, Jewish life in France is just being um, harassed and obliterated. So people are just moving. It's, they just, just threw acid on a baby. Yeah. And Kevin, years ago when we were doing a Torah study with you, I think we were when we were in the book of Genesis, Kevin had the insight that... Um, a person who is against the name of God, like, so for name you say Shem, or if you're talking about, like, bless God, you might use the euphemism of bless Baruch the name. Hashem, thank Baruch God. Hashem, the name. Bless the name. So a person who's an anti-Semite is a person who's against the name. Anti-Shem. Right, Shem, anti-Shem. Yeah. That's so, true. Uh, we'll just repeat Ilana's observation is that you remember the name Haman more than Esther and sometimes in the way that we're celebrating at the end, yeah. Well, the good thing is we don't eat Esther cakes. <laughs> no, because I'm sure that would get us all in trouble somehow in America today. But so eating Haman's ears is not so bad. It, you know, go, it's, like, it's like Easter bunnies, right? Oh, because, you know, you always want to nibble the chocolate ears first, right? And, and not only that, but what's the name of the holiday in America that you guys celebrate that's the resurrection of Jesus? Easter. Easter, right? What woman does that sound like? Esther. And that's not a coincidence because in uh, English-speaking countries, it's not Passover. So in French and Spanish, it's Pasqua. It's Pasqu- Passover. But in English-speaking countries, it's Ishtar. 
It's Esther. Esther, the goddess of her, the, the Germanic goddess of fertility who took her name from Ishtar. So Easter is actually celebrating the goddess of fertility. That's why you have hard-boiled eggs which symbolize fertility because it's really a great way to get an egg to you know, turn into a chicken is when you boil it first. But, <laughs> and we have the same problem on Passover. We have a roast egg on the Seder plate. And they say, oh, yes, an egg. It's a symbol of fertility. Then why the heck do you boil it and burn it? And, and anyway, Those are eggs. But anyway, Easter and Esther and Ishtar, all the same name. So when you uh, celebrate that he has risen... Remember, you're still remembering it from the, ver- the version of Esther and Ishtar. Or, so Purim is closer to the Jewish Easter in some respects. Or if you're a sparker, then you remember that Jesus Yeshua was crucified on Pesach on the, and on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? And then he was buried on the Feast of, <laughs> and he was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread and risen on the Feast of First Fruits. And, and you shouldn't say things like that in front of me when I'm thinking Purim Torah. I know. I know. I mean, okay, so, but yeah. But, but this is what the Apostle Paul says, is that he's the first fruits of the resurrection. Yeah, because grabbing onto that. But the thing is, he, he, he violated Pesach by rising. <laughs> yeah. Ha, ha, ha. I told you you shouldn't say it on Purim. <laughs> Yes, it is. There's a lot of jokes. There's a lot of banter going back and forth. Right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming.